I'm excited to share this message with you. I, em, em and I were, were looking at it last night, and she was helping get everything ready for this morning with the computer, and so she was getting all the, make sure all the slides were in and all that sort of stuff, and she kind of looked at me, and she kind of mentioned this was kind of a heavier one. Um, it is, I'm not going to lie, it is, but at the same time, um, there's an exciting ending. Let's put it that way. So I, that goes along with the week, goes along with the weekend. But this morning, I'm excited to, to share God's word with you. I'm excited to, to look at these things together. And, and really, the title of the message really is a question that I think we all have to answer. And it's quite simply this, which tree will you choose? Which tree Will you choose? We're going to start out this message in Matthew. We're going to have your Bibles. You can open them up to Matthew 27. Uh, obviously, the, the uh, information, the scriptures will be up on the screen as well. But this is where we're going to start looking at this question because I think it is a question that all of us need to, to look at together. So let's look at this uh, scripture and then we'll kind of jump in here. Matthew 27, 1 through 5. Here's what it says. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. They bound him, then they bound him, led him away, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. When Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was filled with remorse. So he took the 30 pieces of silver back to the leading priests and the elders. I have sinned, he declared, for I have betrayed an innocent Man, what do we care? They retorted, that's your problem. Then Jesus threw the silver coins down in the temple and went out and hanged himself. Father, as we come together to look at these things, God, I pray that you would just open our hearts. Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what the Spirit of God is saying. Father, I ask that my words would cease, that yours would begin in a powerful way. So that God, that the, the words of man would just, just disappear and the word of God would just come forth with power. And that, Father, it would be a life-changing experience for all of us. I don't care if there are people here online that maybe don't really even know who you are and maybe those that have served you for decades. Father, today you have a truth that you want us to see, understand, and apply in our hearts and our lives. And so, God, I pray that we would put aside all the things, all the trappings of this day, whether, you know, the dinner after we're done or the eggs or the candy or, what, or whatever it might be, and that we would right now allow you to change our hearts because, God, you desire to do that. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Some of you know this, some of you don't, but... Um, where I went to college, my college does not exist anymore. It is gone. It is now. Now it's still there. Like we were in Springfield last summer. Um, we actually went down to Branson for a little family vacation. And so as we were going through, you have to go through Springfield to get down there. So as we're going through, like I actually drove past, or we drove past the remnants of where I went to school. It's like a ghost town now, but it is there. It does not exist anymore. It has been basically um, absorbed into another university down in Springfield, which is an Assembly of God school. And so Mike's College, which was called Central Bible College, is basically a part of what's evangel now. But it, in my world, it's kind of gone, you know? Like, I, can, I can't have Easton go there if he would ever want to or things like that. But it's, it's completely gone. But I always still get stuff from evangel because, because although I'm no longer a, not really a, a 
um, alumnus of that, I've been grafted in, basically. And so because of that, they want my money. <laughs> you laugh, but that's really the case. I mean, you know, it's like, it's like, well, sorry, your school doesn't exist anymore, but you can come give us money instead, because obviously that's what I wanted to do. But anyway, so I've been getting stuff, you know, all this sort of things, and, 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 and a couple of, of months ago, actually now, um, it's kind of funny how God works these messages out in my mind, in my head. Um, I had gotten an email from them and they were saying, hey, you know, if you need this or that, you know, remember, we have a brand new CBC portal on our website. It's basically to make us feel like we're really apart, you know, and to get our money. And anyway, so I clicked on it. And I went in there, and they were like, oh, you know, we love you. We're so glad you're a part of our family and all this sort of stuff. And they had something that I actually was interested in. They had a link where you could click and look at the yearbooks from when you were there. So they had like the 1960s and 70s and 80s, and don't you dare think I was there at that time. And then the 90s. <laughs> and so I clicked on some of those yearbooks, and I'm like looking through and I'm like, oh, okay, I remember, I remember people like I hadn't seen in like a long, long time. And you, you kind of wonder where they're at and what they're doing and all this sort of stuff. And so I kind of spent a little bit of time reminiscing of my college days. And something very interesting began to happen. I began to remember things. And yeah, I remembered like some good, happy moments. But I also began to remember some things that I wasn't necessarily overly proud of. Now, now, now let, let me, just before we go there, okay, I didn't break any laws, I didn't get kicked out of school, but you know, I treated people, some people, not very kindly. I, I didn't handle things very well in a lot of times. I, I, I began to think back, and, and, and as I began to reminisce, and as I began to remember and think about these things, I began to, it was, it was, it was almost like this, this thing began to come into my heart and into my mind. And I begin to, to look and, and, and be remorseful for how I had treated certain people, how I had handled certain situations. You know, and I, I started saying, you know, Aaron, well, you know, you were immature back then. You, 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 you would have handled things better now. But I'm going to tell you right now, in those moments, I began to just feel remorse and because I couldn't necessarily fix it because because here's the thing like when we feel this remorse a lot of people like we, we realize that and then we like okay how can I fix it I mean at least guys guys are fixers and so I was like how can I fix it and I'm like going I don't know where these people are I, I have no way of contacting them plus that's weird you know how am I going to handle this you know I'm sorry you probably don't even remember this but back in sophomore year when you said something and I went that was dumb I'm, I'm remorseful about that will you please forgive me I didn't know what to do and because I couldn't fix it, remorse led to something else. It's something that I believe we all deal with. I don't care if it's something that, 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 that happens to you regularly or happens every once in a while. It doesn't necessarily matter if you've accepted Jesus or you haven't. We all begin to deal with what I was dealing with in that moment. We all begin dealing with shame. Why did I do that? How could I have done that? Why didn't I handle it better? Why did I have to hurt people so bad? And I find that in our lives today that many of us deal with that shame. As we look at Judas, we, we see a man who, who had really experienced things that quite honestly all of us would love to have seen. 
He was one of the twelve. He was brought in. He was chosen by Jesus. He saw the miracles. He saw, he saw food that was, that was, you know, fish, a little bit of fish and some bread and thousands of people being fed. He saw dead people be brought back to life. He said people that, people that were blind that could see. He saw it all. And yet, because he had a weakness, his weakness was money. We see that John writes that, that although he was literally the guy that kept the money, he was stealing from basically Jesus and the other disciples. And in a moment of weakness, in a moment where he made some really bad decisions, the enemy used that. And he ended up betraying Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver. You see, shame's definition is interesting. Shame is a painful emotion caused by the awareness of having done something wrong or foolish. And in our scripture, as we see, I, I think we can kind of learn a couple of things on how, first of all, how Judas tried to deal with his shame and how typically we do as well. Because you realize that he kind of comes to this realization that, that oh my goodness, they're, they're actually going to kill him. They're actually going, there's actually going to be consequences to my actions. And so he looks and he realizes that and you notice he does something. He tries to fix it on his own. He goes to the priest. He says, listen, I've sinned. I've messed up. This was not supposed to happen this way. He says, take it back. Their response, we don't care. We don't care. Why is he even doing this? It's because he realizes he did something wrong and now he wants to fix it. Now he wants to try to figure out how to deal with the shame that has entered his life and the remorse that has entered his heart. And so he sits there and he goes, how can I do this? How can and so he, he literally throws the money down and runs out, hoping maybe, maybe that'll do it. Maybe if I give it back, it'll fix the situation. But I think he knew in his heart that it wouldn't. Sometimes I've imagined these stories and I don't know if I've, I've told you this before, but not only do we tend to, with the stories in the Bible, kind of turn them into a little bit of a, um, something that doesn't have a lot of life to it visually, but we also forget the sound. I don't know. I, I've never heard silver coins necessarily hit hard rock and pavement. But I got to believe when that hit that ground in that temple, it rang out. And scripture tells us that Judas, he leaves, I got to believe with that sound just ringing in his ears. It didn't fix it. You see, he tried on his own to fix it. He went and said, listen, I, I messed up. Isn't it interesting that he goes to these priests, these priests who basically have no power to forgive sin whatsoever. And he, he admits, I have sinned. I have messed up. I have, I have this shame and this guilt and this, and this condemnation that is, that is, that is you know, controlling me. And, and I, I got to fix it. And their response is not, hey, let me help you here. Their response is, what do we care? We've got what we wanted. You foolish man. And the money hits the ground. And ultimately, Judas runs from the place. 
and he finds a tree. And there, ultimately, in a moment of shame, guilt, and utter hopelessness, Judas loses his battle with shame. He loses his battle with shame. You see, here's what's interesting. Shame, this isn't a new thing. It really began all the way back at the very beginning. Look at this with me. In Genesis 2, 25, this is what it says. It says, now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Isn't that interesting? God could have said anything here. And he says they felt no shame. We need to understand here what this really means. It says, because to be naked and feels no shame means you have no sin. Nothing to be rightly ashamed of and nothing to hide. Doesn't that sound amazing? Doesn't that sound like, like oh my goodness, like, like I, there's no shame. Like, like this wasn't necessarily about them being physically naked and, and not feeling shame. It was a spiritual understanding as well. They didn't have to hide anything. Why? Because there was nothing to hide. I don't know about you, but I know in my life, even going back to understanding that, that, that looking at the, the yearbook, like, like, you know, like I didn't, I, I didn't necessarily want to be in the same room with those people anymore. Why? Because I felt bad. I felt like I had something to hide. But way back at the beginning, the way it started, when God said it's good, in fact, he takes one step further and says it's very good. The shame is gone. The guilt is gone. It's not there. But then something happens. Look with me, Genesis 3, starting with the second part of verse number 6. You know, most of you know the story. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. At that moment, their eyes were opened and listen to what it says. They, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. Now remember, we just talked about nakedness here is more than just a physical understanding. Now... They had sinned. Now they had something to hide. And it didn't come slowly. It didn't kind of creep its way in. Scripture said that immediately it came on. Suddenly it came on. And so listen to what they do. They sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Now remember, this idea of naked is deeper. Him acknowledging something like this to God was not acknowledging basically this, even though that's a part of it. It was acknowledging to God that now... Now, he was afraid because the shame and the guilt and the condemnation that came along with it. It started all the way back then. And listen, they begin to do the same thing that Judas does. They begin to try to figure out, how can I cover 
my nakedness? How can I cover? How can I deal with the shame and the guilt and the hopelessness that I am now feeling? For Judas, he ran and tried to give back the money, ultimately ending his own life. For Adam and Eve, they go to a tree, a fig tree, and they begin to take off the leaves and they try to somehow make this covering for themselves. Now let's think about that for a second. They, they, you know, like if, if I said to you, I need you to make a covering for yourself, most of you would go, okay, I can, okay, I need some fabric, I need some thread, I need something, something to cover myself with. They, they, they didn't know how to sew. They didn't know how to put things together. They're grabbing leaves and they're stick, nothing sticking, nothing staying. What are they going to do? They try to deal with it on their own and it fails miserably. Why? How do we know? He hides because he's naked. The fig leaves don't work. They don't cover the sin. They don't cover the shame. They don't cover the guilt. They don't cover those things that they are now dealing with for the very first time in the history of humanity. Basically, they do two things. They cover and they hide. And when we deal with shame in our lives, a lot of us try to do the same thing. We try to cover and we try to hide. But it just doesn't work. You see, in a lot of ways, Judas did the same thing. He tried to cover and he tried to hide and it didn't work. Ultimately, ending on a tree. Just like Adam and Eve, who tried to find a tree that could help cover them. But God just doesn't leave them there. God doesn't just say, well, you know what? I'm done with you. Even then, look what God does. Genesis 3, 21. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. Now, here's the thing. They're naked. They've tried to cover themselves and it's just not good enough. They've done it on their own, and it hasn't, hasn't fulfilled, hasn't, hasn't dealt with the hurt, the shame, and the guilt that they're now experiencing. So God, in his loving kindness. And let's remember here, they've just basically, in so many ways, looked at God and said, you know what, God? I don't care about your love. I don't care about your rules. I want what I want. And God still, even then, found a way to cover their nakedness. But it cost something. The animal skins had to come from animals. You see, here's the deal. And this is in your notes, and you need to get this. Ultimately, to cover the shame, something had to die. To cover their shame, something had to die. God already is beginning to foreshadow something much greater that he has in store. So obviously this morning we've looked at the failures and the disappointments of Judas in a lot of ways of Adam and Eve. Let's look at another. If you have your Bibles again, let's look at Luke 22. 
There's another story that we need to read that takes place right around the time of Jesus' death and crucifixion. Luke 22, starting with verse number 54. So, So they arrested him, meaning Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers. But Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. No, man, I'm not, Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And at that moment, the Lord turned to look at Peter. Suddenly, the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. Peter, the, the man that Jesus said, you know, you're going to be called Peter now, which means rock. The man who less than 12 hours ago looked at Jesus and said, I will die for you. Denies him three times. And in Luke's account, it shared that Jesus looks. Where Jesus was in this courtyard area, there was an area where basically Jesus could have looked down and seen him there around this fire with the guards. And he looks, and in that moment, the words repeat into his head. You were going to die me three times. And Peter leaves, weeping bitterly. Sounds a lot like another disciple that did roughly the same thing. Full of remorse, full of shame, full of guilt, full of all those things. Because remember, Peter had seen it all too. Peter had seen the miracles. Peter had seen all the amazing teaching. Peter had seen Lazarus being called out of the grave and being alive. He saw all those amazing things. And he had so much of this, I can do it. I got it. I can, I'm in control. I have got the ability to stand for you. And basically in a moment, everything changes. And he leaves weeping bitterly. And I promise you, in that moment, there, here came the remorse. Here came the shame. Here came the guilt. Here it all came. We don't hear a lot about what happens to Peter after this moment. When we talk about the timeline of, of kind of the Passion Week and Good Friday and all these things, from this point on, Peter kind of goes radio silent. There are some people that do believe he was at the crucifixion, even though Scripture does not record that he's there and does record that others were there. I tend to believe that Peter was not. I believe Peter ran. He covered and he hid. 
dealing with the hurt, dealing with the shame. But here's the thing. Thankfully, because of what Jesus has done, not because of what you and I have done, but what he has done, there is the second tree that we can choose. You see, Judas and Adam and Eve, they chose a different tree. They chose a tree that they could try to do it on their own. They, they chose a tree that unfortunately with the fig leaves and, and the idea of covering and hiding just didn't work. And Judas took it even one step further and his tree ended up being a tree that he tried to use to cover his guilt and shame ultimately by his own death. But again, thankfully, there's a second tree. Let's look at it together. Luke 24, starting with verse number 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what He told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that He would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that He had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanne, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. But look, now I'm going to stop right here. And we're going to kind of stop, we're going to hit the pause button. And then we're going to come back to verse number 12. But imagine here this moment. These women have come to you. They have said, he's not there. He's risen. Don't you remember? And, and, and they're just kind of like, no. I, they almost like they can't believe it. It's like it's too good to be true. They refuse to believe it. And here's Peter. Now remember, Peter's kind of been radio silent for a while. The last we kind of see of Peter is that moment where he runs away crying bitterly with remorse and shame. Peter has a choice to make here. Peter can say, you know what? The last thing I want to do is face the man that I betrayed. The last thing I want to do is to face the man that, that I denied three times. And so Peter could have said, you know what? I'm out of here. I'm gone. I'm, I'm going to go back to my covering. I'm going to go back to my hiding. I, it may not work, but I'm going to do that. But look what Peter does. However, Peter jumped up. I love that. Like Peter didn't like, I will slowly rise to go. He jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen's wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Now, there's some interesting things here we need to understand. Peter jumps and he goes. He gets there. He goes into the tomb. Jesus is not there, but the linens are. 
Other gospel writers talk about, John does, he talks about how the linens are literally folded up. He goes, he sees there's nothing there. But it's interesting. He doesn't also know what to do. You think about that. I mean, stop for a second. Try to put yourself in their shoes. Try to remember that, that, that although we may know the story, they don't. They're living the story. And so they show up. I don't know how I would have responded. But if I showed up and Jesus is not there, I don't know what I'd do. Peter obviously didn't either. He went home. Here's what I've learned. We can acknowledge Jesus, but there's got to be more than that. There has to be something deeper that takes place. There's a lot of people that know of Jesus, but they don't know him. Peter is in there. He sees the empty tomb. He sees something has excuse me, sees something amazing has happened. But instead of going and finding out more, he goes home. Why? I think I might have an idea. Maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong. But acknowledging the fact that Jesus wasn't there still didn't cover his shame. It wasn't quite enough. You see, there's a lot of people in our world who may know the story of Resurrection Sunday, but they have not really allowed it to capture and change their hearts. I'll be honest with you, there's a lot of people in church this morning, all over this country and all over the world, who know the story, but they haven't let the story change them. So Peter, in that moment, not really knowing what to do, turns around and goes home. After this, the Lord does begin to appear to his disciples. We can even see in Luke 24 that basically um, in verse, it's not, it's not in the notes, but, but basically starting with verse number 31, um, it says basically, and within the hour they were on their way back to Jerusalem, there they found the 11 disciples with the others who had gathered with them who said, the Lord has really risen. And the end of that says, he appeared to Peter. Now, we, we don't know what happens in this meeting. We don't know. All we are told is that basically Jesus appears. But I want to take it to a very important portion of Scripture that I think to kind of help us really understand the tree that we need to choose. And we see this in John 21. In John 21, we see an interesting story. We're going to start with verse number one. We'll skip a, a couple verses here to kind of help us. But, but we're going to look at this together. Because I think in a lot of ways, although Jesus appears to Peter and the other disciples, this is a very important part of Jesus, or excuse me, of Peter choosing a particular tree. So John 21, we'll start with verse number one. It says, later Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. Once again, Peter didn't know what to do. Peter's kind of confused. I mean, he, he, there's an empty tomb. I'll go home. Jesus has appeared risen to me. I'm going to go fishing. He doesn't quite know what to do with himself. It's interesting here. He says, I'm going fishing. We'll come too, they all said. 
So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who it was. He called out, fellas, have you caught any fish? I love this. I love Jesus. I love the way he responds to his people. Now remember who he is. He is risen from the dead. And what's he do? He does it with angels and lights and thunder and all these things. He shows up on the beach walking around and yells out to some men that he loves and cares about and basically says, how's the fishing? He said, no, I haven't caught anything. Then he said, throw out your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did, and they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now look here. Then the disciple Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. Now listen to what Peter does. When Peter, Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for he'd stripped for work, jumped in the water, and headed for shore. Now it's interesting here. When we get a little bit more detail about Peter and his interactions with the Lord and his desire, in one, he doesn't wait. He runs to him. And in this one, he jumps out of the boat and swims to him. He's like saying, listen, you all are going to take way too long to get this fish in. You're going to take way too long to get this boat in. I'm getting to Jesus. I'm getting to him. I don't care if, if, if you lose the fish. I don't care if the boat capsizes and you're all swimming with me. I'm out. I'm gone. I'm going to Jesus. You see, I believe that there is a moment in our heart and our lives where we have a choice to make. We can live with the guilt. We can live with the shame. We can live with all those things. Or we can say, you know what? I'm done with this. I'm tired of doing it on my own. I'm tired of trying to use fig leaves to cover up my hurt and my shame and my condemnation. No, I'm getting to Jesus because he's the only one that can cover it. He's the only one that can do what I cannot do myself. So he jumps in the water and heads to shore. The others stayed with the boat. <laughs> they probably were not happy. And pulled the loaded net to shore, for they, were about, uh, for they were only about 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them. Fish cooked over a charcoal file, fire excuse me, and some bread. And look at verse 12. This is important. Now come and have some breakfast. Jesus said, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now let's think about this. Let's, let's kind of dissect this for just a minute. Jesus has already appeared. John's gospel tells us this is the third time that Jesus has appeared to his disciples. We see different interactions here. We see Jesus at times eating, but this is different. This is a little different here. Jesus has prepared a meal for them. Jesus has gotten it all ready. And when they come, Jesus invites them to breakfast. Now, here's the deal. You invite me to breakfast, great. I like me some breakfast food, we're going to go. But there is something much deeper that's happening here. 
There's something life-altering if we'll get this. He has invited not only Peter, but other disciples who have failed him, who have ran away. Scripture tells us that when he, Jesus is arrested, man, those disciples are gone. They're out. All of them, I guarantee, are dealing with this hurt and this shame and this guilt. They don't know what to do either. You want to go fishing, Peter? Great, let's go fishing. Because I don't know what to do with myself. And Jesus has got this whole thing laid out. And he says, come eat with me. During this time, to share a meal with someone was massively important. We've talked about this before. This was more than, you just, this was deeper. I, I, this, this was an invitation more to just come and share food with me. This was an invitation to literally come and have a deep relationship with that individual. It meant something massively huge. And the disciples don't run up to Jesus and say, can, can we eat with you? Can, can we do this? I know we messed up. Can we? Jesus says, come, come. Come have breakfast with me. I love here that we see not only the desire of Peter to try to get close to Jesus, but we see Jesus pursuing Peter. Jesus shows up. Jesus doesn't sit back waiting and say, you know what, Peter, when you got this all figured out and you get it all figured out and you get this all worked out in your own mind and your own head, then you all come over here and you see me. And then I'll decide what to do with you. Jesus appears to them. Jesus is walking along the shore to find them. And then he says, come, come, have a meal with me. Come be close to me. Come have a deep relationship with me. There are other things that take place as far as when Peter is reinstalled. But you know what? I'm reminded of Revelation 3.20 when Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone... Listen, if you write things in your Bible, if you highlight things on your phone, do me a favor. Online the word anyone and realize that no matter how much shame, no matter how much guilt, no matter how much remorse you have, you fit under the word anyone. He invites us. He says, I am here. He doesn't say, I'm over there, you come to me. He says, I am here right now. I stand. I am the one knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, listen to what he says. I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Jesus could have said anything. We're going to hang out and play checkers. But he says specifically, they'll, you'll come and you'll eat. You'll share a meal. Listen, this is in your notes. I need you to get this. The idea of Jesus at the door applies to the sinner and to the saint just the same. Jesus wants to come in and eat with us in the sense of having a deep meaningful relationship. A deep, intimate relationship. You know what Jesus could have said? He could have said, here I am. I stand at the door. Here I am. 
You know what Jesus could have said? I'm over here. I have a door. If you knock hard enough and you do all the right things, if you, you know, dot your I's and cross your, you know, T's and are really, really good, if you knock long enough, I may answer. But it just depends on the mood that I'm in and how good you've been. He doesn't say that. He says, I am here. I stand at the door. Do you realize how amazing this is that the creator of all of the universe is knocking at your door? I don't know about you, like, like if my doorbell rings, I don't answer it anymore. I have the little sign, you know, don't, don't try to sell me something sign, you know? And they sometimes still knock on the door. Or when somebody does, you know what I do? I go to the window. And I open the blind, you know, look out. Why? I, I, I don't know if I want whoever's knocking on the door to come into my house. Folks, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is knocking. And he says, if you'll just open the door, you can... We can have this relationship that can be so close. You see, what's interesting is with Adam and Eve and Judas, they tried to do it all on their own. They tried to cover themselves and their shame and their guilt. Now, I know Peter went radio silent. Maybe he tried that, but we don't have that recorded. What we do have recorded is that when Jesus came near or he thought he was near, he ran and he swam. He did anything he could to get to Jesus. Why? I think something happened in Peter. I think something happened. He allowed God to do something in his heart. Was it complete? No. Did, did, he, need to, did he need to allow Jesus to do some, some deep work in his heart? Yes. But he realized something. He realized he couldn't cover it. He realized he couldn't do it. Why? Because he realized maybe something all the way back in Genesis. Something had to die to cover the shame. For Adam and Eve, it was an animal. For Judas, it was his own life trying to cover his shame. I believe for Peter, he realized that thing that had to die to cover his guilt and cover his shame was Jesus, was him. 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 4, it says, I pass on to you what was most important. Folks, listen to me and hear me. We need to stop worrying about stuff that's not the most important. Okay? I'm not saying there's not stuff that's important. Okay? And we can, we can look at those things. But listen, if you're spending too much time on the least important things, we need to get our priorities adjusted a little bit. Paul here is helping us to realize what the most important thing is. Whether it be Easter Resurrection Sunday or August 5th, it does not matter. Listen to what he says the most important, and what has also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, 
just as the Scriptures said. He was buried and He was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures have said. Jesus made a way. Jesus made a way. It's the most important thing. It's the most important thing that we realize and understand. That we realize that we can't cover our own sin and our own shame. And I find that there are so many people, both believers and non-believers both, who walk around with a, 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 just a covering of shame. Remember all the way back to the beginning, I talked about how I was looking at a yearbook. And here came the enemy. Oh, how could you? You handled that so poorly. You, I bet those people, if they, if they knew that you were a pastor now, they would laugh and say, oh, you got to be kidding me. There's no way. Somebody like that? You see, sometimes shame is things that we can let go of and then other times we pick it right back up and we carry it again when we don't have to. One of the things that we have to understand is that Jesus, when he came and he died, he took all our sin, all our guilt, all our shame. It's gone. Scripture tells us that there now is therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. None. It's gone. It's been removed. So I have a simple question. A question that we all have to answer. Which tree will you choose today? The tree that held the leaves or the tree that held the Savior? Because I'm telling you right now, learn from me. I've gone to that fig tree a lot. I've gone to that fig tree in my own heart and in my own life and said, you know what, I, I, I can deal with this. I can cover this. I can, I can make this all better. And you know what? Every single time my fig leaves have fallen aside and I've been left with guilt, shame, and hopelessness. Judas, again, he went to a tree as well. He had tried to do it on his own and because he could not, get past the hurt and the guilt and the shame he went to a tree as well and took his own life the tree that we need is the tree that held our savior the tree that we need is the one that says basically i will cover your sin I will take away your guilt and your shame and I will remove it as far as the east is from the west but just like we have to open the door, we have to go to the correct tree. We have to allow Jesus to come and do in our hearts and in our lives what only He can do. And when He does it, Scripture tells us that He makes all things new. The past is gone. Behold, all things are new. So I have a question to ask you this morning on this very special day. 
which tree will you choose? Will you choose the tree of self-reliance and I can handle it all on my own? Or will you choose the tree that says, you know what, I can't do it. I need rescued. I need a savior. I need someone who can do what I cannot do. It's not your works. It's not how good you are. It's not how much money you put in the plate. It's not about how many times you show up to church. Are those things important? You bet they are. But I promise you this, they won't cover your shame. They won't take the guilt away. You could give every penny you own and it would not do it. You know what it is? It's just fig leaves. You could be from now on, now on, like from now until the time you are dead, you could live a perfect sinless life. Now you can't, but you get what I'm saying. You could do, that, that would be it. You know what? And you know what it would be at the end? Fig leaves. Fig leaves. Covering. Instead of trying to cover ourselves and looking to the trees that will ultimately, ultimately lead to death, we need to go to the tree where the Savior hung and conquered death. Let's close our eyes and let's take a moment here. Because I don't believe this is, you know, it'd be very easy in this moment to go, oh, you know, for those that don't know Jesus, it's, it's you know, it's Easter, you know. No, 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 no. Do, do not let the enemy lie to you. This is for sinners and saints. And, and the only reason I use that terminology is because they both start with S, Okay. Because I have seen it over and over and over again. People that have accepted Jesus, that understand. It, it's, it, and it kind of falls in two camps. One is, is just people that, that go, have gone to the tomb. Okay, They've looked in. They, they, they understand the story. But at the same time, it's like they go back home and they don't know what to do with it. Or, or they go fishing and they don't know what to do about it. And they, they continue to live in that guilt and that shame. Listen, it's, it's one thing to hear the knocking at the door. It's another thing to open the door and sit down at the table with Jesus. And for some of us, we kind of know the story, but we don't know the Savior. And listen, it's great that you know the story, but that's not going to cover your shame and your guilt. You've got to accept him. For others, maybe we've never really done that. Maybe we've never really heard the story. And today, whether you're here or online, you, you know what I'm sharing is true. Why? Because you've, you, you experience this guilt and this shame. I, I have never met a human being on the face of the earth that doesn't deal with these things. Never once. Why? Because scripture tells us we've all sinned. We've all fallen short. Salvation isn't for the good people because there's no good people. It's for all of us, if anyone. And we all need Jesus. And so maybe today, maybe on this extremely important special day, maybe what God's asking you to do is, is to turn from a tree that's got fig leaves on it and instead turn to your Savior and allow Him 
to cover and remove all that guilt and all that shame and all those things. And for some of us, we've done that, but we still at times let the guilt and the shame come in. And listen, I'm going to tell you right now, guilt, shame is not of God. It is not of God. God brings forth conviction that draws us closer to God. It's important. The Holy Spirit does that. We need that. That's a good thing. Guilt and shame drive us away from God. And it's a tool of the enemy. Because when Jesus died, you know what died on the cross with him? All your guilt, all your shame, all your sin. It's been covered and it's been dealt with. So God's not going to bring it up because it's done. It's finished. But unfortunately, the enemy and sometimes even ourselves, we bring it up. And even though we know Jesus died, even though we've accepted him, for some of us right now, we're living with that guilt and that shame all over again. And I'm telling you right now, when Jesus came and he said, I want to give you freedom, it was freedom over many, many things, but it was freedom over guilt and shame and condemnation. And it's time we start walking in our freedom, folks. It's one of the reasons Jesus came and he died and he rose again. Because who the Son makes free is free indeed. So maybe this morning you would sit there and you say, you know what, Aaron, maybe online or, or here, and you say, you know, I, I, I've gone, I've, I've chosen the fig tree. I've, I've chosen the hangman's tree in a lot of ways. Maybe not physically, but a lot of things have died in my heart and my life because of this. And you'd say, you know what? It hasn't worked. It hasn't covered. I'm still hiding. Maybe there's some of you that this is the first time, whether you've come to church in a long time or even watched it online, because of guilt and shame. You feel like, you know what? I, 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 I can't come to church, all the things I've done. All the mess-ups. And you've listened to that lie. And you've allowed the guilt and the shame to keep you from Jesus. Today, because Jesus is no longer on that cross, because we celebrate his risen Lord, we can also now say he stands at your door of your heart and knocks. You say, Aaron, how do I accept the tree of my Savior? It's real simple. You open your door and you let him come in. Scripture teaches us how to do that. It says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe that he, he died and rose again, you will be saved. It's how you open your door. And whether you're here or online, I believe there are individuals that need to open their door. Man, what a great day to open your door to Jesus. And we're going to pray in just a minute to allow you to do that. But for others, maybe you've done that in the past, but you're still walking around with guilt and shame. You're kind of like Peter 
in the middle of all this. You're kind of Peter after going to the empty tomb, but before the breakfast. And you don't quite know where you fit. And you don't know quite where you're at. Just to know that the tomb is empty, that's great. But Jesus has so much more for you. He wants to invite you to breakfast and have an intimate, close relationship with him so that when that guilt tries to come in, we can answer it with Jesus. So whether you're at this morning, whether maybe for the first time you need to turn to Jesus, or maybe for the thousandth time you need to turn to Jesus, today we can do that. Because he's still knocking. He's still inviting. He's still saying on this Resurrection Sunday, come, come to me, come Come to me. So, Father, we come to you right now. And, God, if there are those that are here, that, God, that, that do not know you, that have, that have run to the fig leaf tree or even maybe run to the hangman's tree, and they've tried every way they can with fig leaves and, 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 and other things and, and, and the brand new car or the new house or the new relationship or whatever it might be. And they've used those and they've tried to cover themselves. And all they found is that it's not enough. All they found is the guilt and the shame and the hopelessness is still there. God, I pray that in this moment, that they would turn to you. That God, that they would pray and they would say, God, I love you. God, I have tried so many other things and now I choose you. Jesus, will you come? Will you make me new? Will you inhabit my heart and my life? I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you were sinless and you died in my place. And I believe and I want you to be Savior and Lord of my life. And Father, I know and I believe if people prayed something similar to that prayer, that right now the fig tree and the other trees are gone. And they've turned to you. But God, I also know there are some of us who once again need to let shame and guilt go to the grave where they belong. They were dealt with, and it's one of the things we celebrate today. But for some of us at times, we deal with it. And God, right now, as I pray for myself and every individual here, as we have invited you into our hearts and to our lives, Jesus, we pray against guilt. We pray against shame. We pray against condemnation. We pray against all those things because Jesus, you conquered those things through your death 
and your resurrection. So we celebrate today that there is no more guilt. There is no more shame. There is no more condemnation. Not because of us, but because of you. And we celebrate that. We turn to you. We have chosen you. And now we know that where there was hopelessness, there is now hope. Where there was emptiness, we are now full. Where there was hate, there is now love. Where there was sin, there is now forgiveness. And we celebrate that because you made a way where there was no other way. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. What a day. What a day to celebrate. What a day to remember. What a day to experience all that Jesus has for us. He died for it all. And I, you know, I don't know about you, but I, I want to claim what's rightfully mine because of what Jesus has done. That's what I want for us, for me, for our families, and for our community. So as you celebrate today, as you continue to remember and, and enjoy this day, remember that Jesus has victory, not just over certain things, but over all things. He is victorious. And because he lives, we can live. We can experience the life that he had promised for us. And we will do that as a family together. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We love you. As we head out, Father, I pray that you would just allow these words to just, just penetrate our hearts over and over and over again. Let them be words of life. Let them be words of joy. Let them be words of excitement as we celebrate you today. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a wonderful Resurrection Sunday for the rest of the time. I hope you have some great plans uh, in store for you, but enjoy it. Love you all so much. We'll talk to you soon.